This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. to have all you here today. And, and again, we've got a great, great service ahead for you. You know, some stuff to think about and, and, and you know, some connections we can make. And, uh, you know, thinking about this service, it, it comes down to this question. Are there two words that might be able to change your family's life? And whether you have kids or not, if you don't have kids, you're not married, I'm talking about your extended family. If you're young, you know, I'm talking about your, your friends. Like, are there two words can change your family's future. There's lots of words we can think of. I mean, a lot of you right now are going like, love you, or forget that, or whatever. You know, and I'm going to give you two words that are a little different, but I think can help us moving the world forward and moving away from either or thinking into both and thinking. And that both and thinking, that both and thinking is such a big part of religion. See, we're looking at the both and, not the either or. And then you have to think, well, what does religion have to offer to this conversation? Let's take a look at the next slide because it goes over that. Why religion? Like, like why do this? You know, I, I find myself embarrassed a lot of time when I tell people I'm religious. Isn't that awful? Like, like I, I try to sort of hide it because it's, it's not a word that's terribly popular, but it's a word that's really important because it offers something really important out there into the world. And so why even talk about this? Like, why religion? Well, I think there's a number of things we need to be aware of. First, just awareness of one's moral mediocrity. We're just, we're just you know, we're just uh, another bozo on the bus, so to speak. Right? Like, please tell me there's nobody perfect here. None of us are perfect. None of us. And there's huge beauty in that. And religion can actually say that in a better way. Listen to this. Religion can say that more easily than Facebook can. More easily. I've said things more honestly to you guys than I've posted on Facebook. Because I think we all get, yeah, we're not perfect. And religion can hold that. The experience of grace Experience of grace, it comes down to Anne Lamott's beautiful saying that grace always bats last. Could we say that together? Grace always bats last. I've seen that over and over again. People who go through really challenging times and what they do is that they come here and they find grace. Grace, not judgment. They don't find a a congregation that's sort of calcified into little pods of people. They find grace. A beautiful offering that religion can have. The experience of love, deep love. It's not just talking about love. It's not just nostalgic love that religion offers. Religion actually offers this ability to understand deep love. As many of you have heard me say a bunch of times, we have some first-time people here, so I'm going to say it again. The word religion actually means to reconnect. And When we reconnect, we really understand that deep love. You want to understand that deep love, folks, come to a small group sometime. Could I get an amen on that? 
you know, come to a small group sometime. You'll experience deep love. Because people are just there to listen and care and hold you. I see you and I love you. I see you and I love you. And the last one, the development of non-dual both and consciousness. Now that's Chuck being a theology geek. That's big words. But I think they're really important because it gets to the idea that there is a both and out there into the world. So what I want to do now is I want to to read a story from the Bible that talks about this both and. And it comes from from Matthew, one of the four Gospels. And again, for those of you who aren't aware, there's, there's four Gospels. And each one of them gives a slightly different perspective on Christ, what Christ is trying to do. And Matthew talks a lot about, well, what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom? And he goes through a number of really different, fascinating answers. And it's just a real short reading, but it's one I think that gets us to start to think about both and. For those of you who are following along at home, uh, this is Matthew 14. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake, caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on shore. Then they sat down, collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. That is how it will be at the end of the age. Angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That that last part, again, in the new church, the way we read that last part, it's not that God's coming here to sort of sort people that way. It's about our heads. It's about that we we have these, these two things in our heads and some of them just, man, we just want to get rid of it. Because your fears, your worries, your anxieties. How many of you have been well served by all your anxieties and paranoias this week? Right? How many of you would love for those to go? You know, like those don't serve. That's what this is about. It's like, yeah, the angels are going to come and they're going to, they're going to help you to get rid of that stuff. But the both and part is so significant. Take a look at this beautiful picture. Now, when we fish, or when I fish, what do you usually fish with? Rod and a reel. So, so you kind of you see the big fish, and you're trying to just catch that fish. How many kinds of fish does a net catch? All. It catches the whole thing. Isn't it interesting? Like saying, the kingdom of God. You want to see what the kingdom of God is? It's like this net that goes out, and it's going to collect the whole thing. It's going to pull the whole thing in, this beautiful, beautiful both and. It's going to pull it all in, and after we've kind of collected it, that's when the sorting takes place. So for those first-time attendees, we do a lot of audience participation here. For those online, you can sort of divvy up here and, and take turns on this one. I want to talk about what that is. We're going to talk about, like, I did this good thing this week, and I also did this. All right, so be brave. Don't make it anything too horrendous. Like, just, just, I did this, and I did this. The both and of, yep, I did this good thing, and then I did this bad thing. Would you like me to go first? Okay, mine was, I went to a conference on nonviolence, listening, calmness, peace. That was the Hoffman Institute on California, which I loved. And I came home and argued with my wife. That's what we're looking for. 
All right? So I'm going to grab the microphone. If you raise your hand, we'll get like three people who are willing to share. All right, who is brave enough here? Who is brave? All right, there we go. Yesterday, I had a studio session where a great conversation happened where I was able to help this person by instructing them and uh, accepting what is and not pushing against and not resisting. Uh, and then my one-year-old son stayed up all night long sick, and I wasn't very happy about it. <laughs> That's good. That's a good one. What's another one, folks? I put up a sign in our yard that says, hate has no place here. And then in talking with some individuals, I made judgments about their politics. <laughs> Thank you, CNN. Do we have one, one more, one more, one more, one more? Where was it? All right, I'll go down just one sec. I'll be back over to that side. I have been doing all this work on meditation and being in a good place. Then my husband made me feel dismissed, so I've been dismissing him since. <laughs> right, right. This, this, this one author I really like talks about, like, when we're doing things really well, it's called being green. And, and you know, like, we're ecologically friendly, except for some of us can be a mean green. You know? A mean green. Last one here. Last one, last one. Here you go. Hi. Um, this week, I've been helping a friend who is sick walking their dog, and... It's lifting me up. It's, it's something that I'm doing that's helpful for them, but I also notice it's really picking me up. The bad thing is I've been stuck in this um, sort of a battle of wills with one of my kids, and I don't know quite how to get out of it, and I'm also feeling stubborn about it, and it feels horrible. So, good at that. That is so good. How many of us on occasion have treated the dog better than our children, you know? <laughs> Thank you, Cheryl. That was really good. And, and you know, just, again, like, like that stubbornness, you know, that both and. Because here's the crazy part, right? Like, it's both and, both and. When I hear a stubborn, somebody say they're stubborn, I'm hearing somebody who's passionate. It's going to take a stand in their life. And stubbornness shows up, too. And maybe we have to learn to hold it as a both, please complete the sentence here, a both, a both and. And I think that's what this story is about. I think that's where it's pointing us to. Now, do I have permission to be a theology geek for the next two minutes? Yes, yes thank you. So this is my theology geekdom. This is courtesy of, of Reverend Jonathan Rose, and I loved it. So when we look at the world, kind of this is very much how new church holds the world. This is very much part of Swedenborgian thought that our, our world kind of has these different layers to it. Our world, I'm talking about the world in our head. Now at the very top, we have love. And if you think of that as being heaven, we picture heaven at the very top of heaven are, are angels who just, they just purely love. That's all they're worried about. Call to mind somebody's name who is just pure love. Could we get a couple of shout-outs to some names some people who are just pure love? Joe? 
there we go. It's all beautiful. You're all loved. You know, those, those names, like that, that deep beauty and, and, you know, names like, yeah, it's Joe and my mom and Raina and da, da, da. You know, these people who are just pure love. That's really all they are. And then we know people who are able to offer real wisdom. You know, it's kind of a second layer. Those people who are able to offer real truth out there to our lives. They're able to say things and it's like, oh, that's real truth telling. For me, I, I love the Franciscan Richard Rohr. He's a truth teller for me. Um, I have some friends as well. And no doubt you do. You know, those people just have that true part. And then we have this beautiful part, the doers. These are the people who like, yeah, that's great that there's love and that's great that you're having a great conversation. I want to know who's bringing the pizza. That's, that's the service part of it, that deep, deep, deep service part. That person who's like, yeah, that's great, but what are we going to do? What are we going to do? How many doers do we have in here? You have a few, just the doers. You know, doers are just, they're very important. You don't see these kind of as hierarchy. You just see these as kind of like, this is just the way it works. Now, the flip is true too. You know, within us, yeah, we all have that part that just, ooh, where a little bit of hatred lies. You know, Phil, I love the one you said. You know, we can, we can be like all this, and then we hear somebody with a different perspective than us. I'm all about love except for with you. You know, we sort of give an exemption there. Anytime you have hatred, hatred is based on falls, on, on falsities and lies. Our enemy is just the person whose story we do not understand. Our enemy is just the person whose story we do not understand. Go to a small group sometime and you'll see what I mean. You just, you understand people's stories. It races so much. And then, you know, that can get exemplified in cruelty and revenge. Sometimes a sin of commission, we actually do something. Or sometimes we're like, no, I'm not going to do anything. That's a sin of omission. Where we feel like somehow we've got to punish this person. We're not going to, we're not mean enough to actually do it to their face. So we're just going to give them the cold shoulder. And all these come together. Now, what I want to do is I really want you folks to, to get a sense of the first three here and to see these kind of musically. So I'd ask Ray and a, and a couple of other the musicians to come down, and they're actually going to do a little medley here of these three so you can see what love is. That'll be the first song. What wisdom is or truth is, that's the second song. And then what action is. Just in a little medley, it's just for a minute, and I just want you to hear how these things kind of come together. So you ready to hear it? All right. Listen to this great little medley. All you need is love. All you need is love. All you need is love. Trust yourself Trust yourself to do the things that only you know best Trust yourself Trust yourself to do what's right and not be second-guessed Don't trust me to show you beauty When beauty may only turn to rust 
If you need somebody you can trust, trust yourself. You can't change the world with your own two hands. Make it a better place with your own two hands. Make it a kind of place with your own two hands. So you could, you could hear, right, the different perspectives. Please say yes. Yeah, you know, you could hear the different perspectives. Were they all beautiful songs? Yes, they were all beautiful songs. And that's the way to hold heaven is kind of comes together because we all got these songs. And of course, we have the hell part. I could have gotten somebody out here to sing Bad Moon Rising. Like, of course, or ACDC, pick any of them. And, and, and you know, like, of course we have that. And we also have this, and they can come together in these beautiful ways. These beautiful ways. We cast the net. The net is wide. We pull in all kinds of things, and then the sorting takes place. What this means is that with each one of us, if we go to the next slide here, with each one of us, we are between, please say it, we are between and we're between heaven and hell. We're always right in that middle place. Like, here I am, right in this middle place. Now, as the band comes out, as the band comes out for the bucket song here, I want you to think, okay, so, so, I, so I get that. I get, like, life has these different experiences, and, and some are good and some are bad. You folks did a wonderful job listing them, and I kind of can pull that net in, and that's my whole week. Any of you who think that your whole week was all negative, you're way underestimating yourself. And any of you who think your week was perfect and all that, you're way overestimating yourself. The fact is it was a mix. So we, we can pull all that in and we get that, yeah, I'm kind of in this middle place of heaven and hell. God actually has kept me there in this middle place. God actually gives me freedom there in this middle place I'm actually conscious and able to choose because I'm in this middle place and then when we come back after the song I want to talk about all right so we collect it all now how do we go about sorting those two different kinds of fish what a beautiful song and how do we come to really know life to really know life. To know it where we're not dividing things into like, like these either-or categories, but we're able to find this path. And it's the path called authenticity. Can we say authenticity? authenticity? Authenticity. There's those words that are just fun, like, like candy in your mouth. Authenticity is one of them. Like, we just we want to live authentically. And that means that we will have both fish in our life, so to speak. And our life, my life gets played out between these two movies a lot. Does anybody identify with that? <laughs> you know, it really does get played out. And, and you know, sometimes I'm like the, the nice Nemo. And other times, man, you can just hear the Jaws theme going. And our life does get played out there. 
And it's real important that we understand that, that life is both of these things. Like there's a way when we can get that, that we can start to really live authentically and to actually step in. Because if I don't believe life is all these things, that means if anytime there's joy, if I don't believe life has anything to do about the top half, I'm just going to be stuck in this really dark place because I don't believe that's real. And then the flip happens too. If I just believe, you know, that the, that the, that the lower half is completely unreal, then I detach as well from the world. I don't lean in in an authentic way to step into those areas that I'm actually being called to step into and that God may be giving me the experience of a contrasting opposite. So I can see my path forward even more clearly despite the pain that's there. Fascinating when you start to think about it. I mean, I was, I was thinking about this young man. I was listening to NPR and he was on beautiful, beautiful family. This is a young man by the name of Luke and it was, it was on NPR and they were talking about something called orphan drugs. I'd never heard of orphan drugs before. So orphan drugs are, are drugs that are made for a, a very particular disease. And oftentimes these diseases may have a few hundred people in the whole world who struggle with them. So it was this interview with this family, Luke's parents, and his, 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 just the cost of his prescriptions per year is over $300,000 per year. Just, just take five seconds and think of all the issues that brings up. Who's going to pay for it? Who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? How, how do we balance all these different competing demands? Beautiful little kid. How do we make sure he's able to live a full and rich life? I think you can see there's a lot to weigh there, a lot to try to figure out. And if we're not authentic, we don't even lean into those conversations. We look at that like, I can't even go there. Well, well we need to be there. We need to actually be having those conversations, discomfort and all. It is interesting because one of the pieces that the new church holds is this beautiful, beautiful quote. There is freedom. I have you say the last word there. There is freedom in all crises. You know, anytime we hit a crisis, it's actually where we can find incredible amounts of freedom. Maybe the most freedom we have in our life is actually in a time of crisis. Folks, I, I, I know for me, you know, I, I, my life can go on autopilot. You know, just cruising along, 10,000 feet, all good. And then all of a sudden, like, bam, I get hit by something. And I can feel like my life here, just cruising at 10,000 feet, was all perfect. It was just the way it was supposed to be. But how free was I really? Like, as I'm sitting there at the air, in the airplane at 10,000 feet, Am I really making free will choices or am I just sitting there eating peanuts? I'm probably just sitting there eating peanuts. But then the crisis hits and then I get to make a choice. I get to exercise my freedom. I get to exercise the love that God has given me. You get to exercise your freedom. You get to exercise the loves that God has given to you. And what we find through that is this. We start opening to spiritually guided action. Let's say those three words together. Authentic and present. We're able to be very authentic 
We're able to be very present. We're able to live with the contradictions and paradoxes of life. Folks, if, if, if we only want to go with our raw and real and just catch the good fish, I want my life just to be full of, filled with largemouth bass. Like, that's it. That's all I want. It's not how life's going to work. And it makes it really hard when we do that and we just think, I just want my life to be this one thing and I'm going to ignore all the rest. It makes it very hard to be authentic with other people. You know, simple example for you. You know, this, this past weekend, we were really blessed as part of New Church Live. And most of you don't even know this, but you're a huge part of it. To be part of two very beautiful funerals. One for Amy and Chris's mom, mother-in-law. One for Marjorie and Matt's mom, mother-in-law. And I went up and did the one in State College, PA, where Penn State is. Dave Lindruth drove the whole way up to Maine to do the funeral up there. And, and you have to be in those moments. Like, I know this as a pastor, and I know all of you know this too. You have to be in those moments authentically. Are there going to be tears at something like that, an event like that? Yeah. Are there going to be smiles at an event like that? Yes. If you're authentic and present at that moment, that makes the connection possible. And folks, the connection, just think how crazy that connection is. You know, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's rich. It's, it's what humanity's all about. It's, it's where a whole lot less, a whole lot less matters. What matters matters a whole lot more. And it's this connection with people. And, and it's this, it's, it's these little moments that actually live on. You know, I think that's where in some weird way, that's kind of the portal that we go to. And then we find eternity through that. We have this experience of the divine through that moment. And we, we, we have them all the time. We have them all the time. And we're incredibly free when we have them. You know, I just, I want to keep coming back to that. I think that's important. Now, as we sort, as we sort these fish, as we, we pull them in and we start looking at like, okay, this fish here, this fish here. And again, this, this, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, remind, I want to remind you, actually, God's the one who's doing the sorting. <laughs> You know, as, as we're going through that, that sorting process and we're seeing the contrasting opposites and we're seeing these things that, yeah, this is who I really want to be. You know, Cheryl, again, I really like yours. You know, like that idea of like here, I, you know, I have this, this, this beautiful part and then I have this stubbornness that's showing up with my kids. And in some weird way, this, that when you're dealing with that stubbornness, it's helping you to get more focused on this, I think. Isn't that interesting? God's economy is always crazy to me. He wastes nothing. And, and it, it's this constant feedback, you know, Phil with that sign, like that's a big sign saying, Phil, pay attention, right? You know, Phil, pay, pay attention to what's on the sign, dude. <laughs> Beautiful. The way those go together is, is, is just incredible. Now, now, now with that sorting, as we do that, some of the time we can do it in very light ways. You know, some of the time it's just fun to go like, yep, good thing and bad thing. I don't want to share a light one with you here. This is the kind of coach I would want to play basketball for. All right, I'm going to show you a quick video. This coach, this comes, uh, it's a Thai basketball game here. And one of his athletes makes a horrible mistake. And in a tied basketball game, thinks that the coach is a player. You'll see a player walk right beside the coach. Thinks that the coach is a player. And so he passes the ball to, a co to the coach. All right, pretty big mistake, right? 
Take a look at how the coach handles it. Take a look at this. A light way of sorting. Quentin Davis back in the game. Two fouls. Guarding Sosa there. Delgado passes it to head coach Ron Callahan. Who knocks down the three? Got to give it to him. Got to give it to him. Still a shooter. He's just super short, like, booyah, money, money. You got to love it. It's a story I've told here before. You know, when you play for a coach like that, it's so easy to do the sorting. I, I've said this story in here before, but I'll say it again because it just came to mind. I was blessed to play for a wonderful lacrosse coach by the name of Ron Nelson. And I was, I was captain of my lacrosse team. And uh, so we had, we had won a game by, I don't know, four or five goals, and we should have just blown the team out. And so Ron calls us into a huddle at the end of the game, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is where I'm going to get to experience the wrath of God right here. And Ron looks at us, and he goes, it takes an incredibly good team to play that poorly and still win. <laughs> great, great, way to hold, great way to hold sorting. So that's the light stuff. Now I'm going to walk over to here, over to this table, and talk about a real heavy way. A way where you actually get to see and get to answer that question, are there two words that can change the future of your family? So I'm going to step on over here. Now, this is a story that takes place around a dinner table. And it's a story I listened to a few days ago, and I thought, oh, this just fits perfectly. It's a story about a young man, who was young at the time, Alexander Shai, who was seven at the time of this, this story. Now, Alexander Shai, uh, fascinating man. He's, he's very well known. You can see his books today. And he talks about this moment as being the moment, listen, that changed his life at seven years old, and changed his entire family. So much so, so much so that here, 60 plus years later, we're talking about it at New Church Live. Pretty remarkable. Now the background to this story is Alexander was a Lebanese American living in Birmingham, Alabama. Now, I taught American history for a large, large, large part of my, my career. And what was interesting with talking about American history was, uh, you know, you, you study the Civil Rights Movement in the 1950s, you study Birmingham, that's for sure. And, and what I didn't know that Alexander said, which I didn't realize, was there actually was a Lebanese community there in Birmingham. And in that Lebanese community, they were legally considered, quote, unquote, colored. So they, they had to abide by all those crazy, wild Jim Crow laws. Like you couldn't drink out of this fountain, you had to ride on this part of the bus. All those things applied to him and his family. Didn't know that. His mother, excuse me, his grandmother ran a store there in Birmingham. And she was very, very close to the African American community. And as the civil rights movement, as the heat starts to rise, what happens is that her house gets burned down by the KKK. And to sort of add insult to injury, she had just lost her husband a few weeks before this. So all those mementos, all those little things that, that trust me, for the young adults in here, all that stuff that you're really going to care about, you know, all of it's gone now. And the family has a dinner. And at that dinner, something gets said and something gets done. It changes all their history. 
Take a look. Were you there when the how, did you race over to the house? Did yeah, you get a- I I was seven years old, and I had already gone to bed. And what I remember is that suddenly my mother and father come and they scoop me up on a blanket backseat of the car, and we raced over to uh, to my grandmother, my sit though, my it's the Arabic word for grandmother, my sit house. And when we got there, the house was totally engulfed in flames. And she wasn't in the house. She wasn't in the house. I remember you telling me the next Sunday you would gather for lunch and what she said to everybody. Right. And my grandmother says grace, as she always did, as she was in the center of the room and all the rest of us were around. And she said grace. And you you knew that you didn't reach for your fork until my grandmother uh, had completed grace. But when she completed grace, she started looking around the room uh, at each one of us, just catching our eyes for a moment. And she went person to person to person to person. And then she just very simply said, no hate, no hate, no hate. Can simple words change a family? Can simple words change a life? I think the answer is yes. No hate, no hate, no hate. And it just, it's, it's so poignant, right? Because like you put yourself in her shoes. She just lost her house. She lost mementos of all she cared about most. And, and you know, and the net is out, Right? Heaven and hell. Were there parts of heaven there and hell? Absolutely. Did she catch both kinds of fish? No doubt. Did she catch both kinds of fish? Yeah. Do you think a little part of her wanted to hate? What if it was you? How many of us would have a little hatred in our heart? More than a little. Little anger? More than a little. Thoughts of revenge? Oh yeah, baby. All kinds of those thoughts there. So she knew that those, she no doubt knew those thoughts were there and she knew that she could entertain them. She could pull them in and and kind of roll them over and justify them very easily. And what she did was she chose something different because just imagine she had gone around that circle, looked at each of those kids and gone hate, hate, hate. And she did something totally different. Really remarkable. She says grace. And folks, like really put yourself, I want to come back to it. Like really put yourself in that place of a seven-year-old. Think of yourself when you were seven. Like put your seven-year-old self in your mind. And you'd seen your grandma's house burn. And your grandma looks at you after saying grace, after giving gratitude. And says, no hate. I, I think we can see with that, like, that, you know, here hatred was being offered to her. It was part of the net. And she decided, no, she wasn't going to do that. And instead, she was going to offer something. Listen carefully here, folks. Remember I said that there's freedom in every crisis? Remember that? I said freedom in every crisis? She offered that young man freedom. 
at that moment, she freed him, she freed her family, she freed herself. That is powerful. I I love this phrase somebody used. You know, we go through times like this. Listen to this phrase I read in a sermon. It's, It's a time of raw receivership. Life is broken, we're raw, we feel open, we feel vulnerable, but there is a way that we can receive something there that is just amazing. And what happened is she flipped. I mean, the good kind of flip, not flipped out. We see this beautiful flip into the laws of love. Both heaven and hell present. And she makes this choice, withholding both, to say, this is where I'm going to live my life. Holding both, saying, this is where I'm going to live my life. This is what actually matters. And in that crisis, she was free. Listen to this quote. If you want to close your eyes and listen to it, it's one of my favorites. Because I think people like this exemplify it. The angels of God, of which you are one, the angels of God wrestled and grew strong. The angels of God wrestled and grew strong. They chose and they acted. Amen. I'm now going to step back and I'm going to offer a prayer. And then we're going to do the same song we did last week. And again, give everybody an opportunity. Please join with us with this last song. Again, it's a beautiful, beautiful song about the we, about the connectedness that we're all yearning for, that we all want. So please first join me in a prayer. Lord, thank you for your presence here among us. Thank you, Lord for the concept, for the idea, for the way of holding, that we can hold our lives as blessed and broken, pieces of heaven, pieces of hell, and that life, Lord, has both of those things, and we so often find ourselves in the middle. Lord, grant us the courage to be there authentically. Grant us the eyes to be there and to be present. Grant us the place to be able to live in the paradoxes and the contradictions of our lives. And at the same time, to remain true to the heart, your heart, beating in us and through us, your heart, reaching out in love and connections. Your heart, forgiving us, Lord, when we stumble and make the less wise choice in your heart, it celebrates. Celebrates us home. Thank you, Lord. Be with us this week. Allow these words to ring in our hearts. No hate. No hate. No hate.
Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv. 